several months back, I began to um, talk about justification by faith alone on uh, Sundays where we observed and fellowshiped in the communion of the Lord. And the last couple of months, it's just worked out where I have not been in the pulpit on those Sundays. Um, And that hadn't been an intentional thing. It's just been uh, the way things have uh, happened for us. But now uh, I would like to turn our focus back to justification by faith alone. A history of faith alone. The doctrine was given last time. And now I want to answer one of the tougher questions theologically and relationally and just in general, uh, for those who think di- any depth at any depth about the Scripture, how can God be just and yet the justifier? How can He be just, this is the question, if He passes over guilty sinners? And so that's, that is where we are today. We want to see that. On October the 2nd, 2006, a gunman took hostages, hostages and eventually killed five little Amish girls, 7 to 13. He killed himself inside the West Nickel Mines School, a one-room Amish schoolhouse in the village of Nickel Mines in Bart Township of Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. The police report read this way, The gunman was Charles Carl Roberts IV, a 32-year-old milk tank truck driver who lived nearby. Roberts entered the school at approximately 9.51 a.m. with a shotgun, a handgun, wires, chain, nails, flexible, flexible plastic ties which he used to tie the arms and the legs of his hostages and several stout boards of wood which he used to barricade himself inside. Police found a two-by-six wooden board with ten pairs of metal eye hooks, presumably to secure his hostages. Provisions for an extended overnight stay were found on the facility. Candles, toilet tissue, a change of clothes. He ordered the hostages to line up against his chalkboard, the chalkboard in the classroom. He sent away from the classroom a pregnant woman, three parents with infants, and all 15 male students. One female student escaped, nine-year-old Emma Fisher, whose two older sisters were left inside. The gunman, a father of three children, two boys and a girl, remained inside the schoolhouse with the remaining ten female students. Police broke in through the window when shots were heard. The gunman killed five girls and himself, the police said. The oldest girl, 13-year-old Miriam Fisher, appealed to Roberts to shoot her first in an effort to spare the younger girls. This was an account given by her younger sister who survived. The younger sister, Barbie, also appealed to him to shoot her next. She was wounded in the hand, the leg, and the shoulder. Three died at the scene. Two more died early the next morning. Five more girls left in critical condition. Reports have stated that most of the girls were shot execution style in the back of the head. One student was shot in the back, one in the shoulder, 
they're expected to recover. The ages ranged from 6 to 13. When I sat in front of my television set October the 2nd at night with Amy, I have to admit, my first reaction to this terrible crime was anger and outrage. Amy and I could only imagine as parents the extreme pain felt by the mothers and the fathers of these young girls. We even expressed the thought that Roberts was now, quote, getting what he deserved. And I would dare to believe that most in this congregation thought the same way initially. But I want to use this as an example of the gospel. It sounds extreme, but it's really not that extreme at all. Let's suppose that Charles Roberts did not die that day. And let's suppose that he is now in the custody of the law enforcement officials in Pennsylvania. And while in custody, what if he recognized his guilt against not only man, not only those little girls and their families, but he recognized his guilt against God? And what if he repented of it and called on the Lord Jesus to save him by the Christ's death on the cross? God would save this man. And the question for you and for me as we think about justification by faith alone is, would it offend you that God would save Charles Roberts? Because the reality is, We're just like Him. We're sinners. We've all committed heinous, treasonous acts against a holy God. And the Bible is filled with people, men and women, who have committed crimes just as horrific and just as heinous as this. The beauty of the Gospel is that no one sins so much or so badly that God cannot save them. I told you that my reaction was to the murder of these children, anger and disgust. Now listen to the responses of the families of these little girls. Their pastor reports a grandfather of one of the murdered Amish girls said of the killer on the day of the murder, We must not think evil of this man. Jack Meyer, a member of the Brethren community that lived nearby the Amish in Lancaster County, explained, I don't think there's anybody here that wants to do anything but forgive. This is the day of the crime. Forgive and not only reach out to those who have suffered a loss, but to reach out to the family of the man who committed these acts. The Amish have reached out to Robert's family. A representative of the Robert's family says that an Amish neighbor comforted the Robert's family hours after the shooting and continually extended forgiveness to his family. The Ebersol family who lost their seven-year-old daughter, Naomi Rose, in the school shooting invited the family Thursday to her funeral. 
They were guests of honor. One father was said to have grabbed up his little daughter dead. And while crying and weeping and rocking back and forth, this little girl, as if to rock her to sleep, he cried and yet he stared at Roberts and said, I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. This is a picture of the gospel. As Christ died on the cross, His Father cradled humanity that would believe in Him in in His arms and said, I forgive you. Jesus, as He died as a substitution, pleading that he die on our behalf, said, from the cross, I forgive you. Father, forgive them. The Old Testament tells us God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping great steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. I believe that the families of these dead children have exhibited this character trait of God the Father better than I have this week. Though they have suffered tremendous loss, they have been able to be earthen vessels in the hand of our God to display the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Later in this service, we'll celebrate communion. The resurrection of Jesus Christ who died so that we might live. He forgave us so that we might forgive one another. These Amish families stand as a witness to the power of the gospel through the power of Jesus Christ. The question that we must answer this morning is how can God forgive a person who even commits sins as terrible as Charles Roberts? How can God be both the just and the justifier of those who believe in Jesus? If God is just, then He must punish the guilty. Proverbs 17.15 says, He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. And we believe that God must be inside Himself consistent. And if He commands us not to pass over wickedness, and if He commands us not to condemn the righteous, how can He do it and yet still be just? How can He condemn Christ? to death, and pass over us? That is the question that Paul answers for us in our Scripture reading, Romans 3, 21 through 26. In Romans 3, 21 through 20, Paul showed us the universal nature of sin. Everybody has sinned. We always focus on that part of the text. Now Paul turns his attention toward the remedy for the universal wickedness of man in verses 21 and 22. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. This is the great good news that God extends to us through His Son Jesus. That though He is just and though He is righteous, He extends to us righteousness through His Son, Jesus Christ. 
We cannot work for this gift. We cannot earn it. We cannot merit it. We cannot ever deserve it. But it is there for everyone who believes in Jesus Christ and who finds their hope in Him and Him alone. Romans 4, 4 through 4-5 make this plain. Read with me from the screen. Paul writes, To the one who works, his wages are reckoned to him. Excuse me, are not reckoned to him as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but instead trust him who justifies the ungodly. You see that? It's not that God justifies godly people. That would be justification by faith. Believe in Jesus and be a good person and God will justify you because you deserve it, because you're good, because you've earned it, because you've met His standard. That's justification by just faith and works. But justification by faith alone, the great doctrine that's been taught through the history of the church is this, that God justifies ungodly people. At the same time, a sinner and righteous. That's what we declare. Another segment of the church would say, declared righteous because you are righteous. They see it as godly people being justified. That's not what we teach. We teach that the ungodly have been made just through Jesus Christ and through Him alone. That's why the alone is so important. You can believe in faith and still work, believe you're earning salvation. But once you believe in faith alone, you cannot ever believe you're doing anything for your salvation except trusting Christ, depending on Christ. The alone sets us apart. The alone is the Christian doctrine. The alone is what is so important. The good news is is that there is free acquittal for the guilty who stop trying to impress God, who stop trying to impress men, and instead rest in Jesus Christ alone, by faith alone, by grace alone. There is no human drug. There is no salve. There is no medication that can ease your conscience like knowing that you are ungodly and yet acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, by faith alone. And my hope is that you can leave today knowing that, trusting in that, and being cleansed by that truth. This good news created a problem for Paul, though. We don't want to lose sight of it. The question, how can God justify the wicked? How can He be just and the justifier? The answer He gives to us is in 24 through 26. If you look at your Bible there, that's a, in our text, 24 through 26, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show the righteousness of God because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at this present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The problem is in this text. God passed over former sins. Did you catch it? How can He be just? How can He meet His own standard in Proverbs 17 if He passes over sin? 
He did it for thousands of years. The truth is, He does it today for those in Christ. How can He be just? Well, Paul gives us a, a, a pictorial lesson in Romans 4, 6-8. through 8, The words of David, he quotes. So also David pronounces a blessing on the man to whom God reckons righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven and those whose sins are covered. That's passing over. Covered. Expiation. Covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not reckon his sin. God, you see it here in the promise. David's given a blessing and he says, He's not going to hold you accountable for your sin. He's going to cover it. He's going to not reckon it, not account it to you as an account it would, as a debt. God has passed over sin in the Old Testament. Examples would be Abraham and David, who by faith and others, thousands of others, millions of others, He passed over their sins all because they trusted in a future Messiah who would come and who would pay the penalty for their debt. And because of this, Paul says in verse 25, God had passed over sins of old, but now His righteousness is in full display in Jesus Christ. Yes, He has passed over sin for these other times. For all those who trust in Christ, He passed over sins. All those who trust in the Messiah, He had passed over sins. But now He puts His righteousness on display in Jesus Christ. Because He put Him forward. You see it in verse 25. He put Him forward as expiation. Propitiation. Same word. Same word in the original. We get the doctrine of covering and the doctrine of paying. He is the covering and He is the grounds of our forgiveness. He's the covering of our sins and He's the grounds of how God can be just and justify you, a sinner. That's what the text teaches us. That's Paul's answer. How can God do it? Because He displays His righteousness in His Son, Jesus Christ. The reason that this calls God's righteousness into question is because sin is an offense against an infinitely glorious God. Therefore, if God passes over sin, then He shows Himself to devalue, it would seem, His own glory. It makes God look as though He no longer displays His glory or preserves His honor. But if God denies His own infinite value, then He's untrue to Himself. If He's untrue to Himself, then we have no hope. He's devalued our ultimate worth. We have nothing to cling to. That would be unrighteousness in God. So what is the full answer? Well, here it is. Righteousness is called into question because of sin. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all not been as glorious as God is. We haven't. You don't have to go to an extreme example like Roberts to find a sinner. You just have to look inside yourself. We've all fallen short. We're all... That's the definition Paul gives of sin. Look at Romans 1.21. All have sinned and fall short. But look at this. Although men knew God, they did not glorify Him as God or thank Him. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man or birds or animals or reptiles. 
Natural man worships images of the creation. Natural man worships himself. Natural man worships the height of human civilization. Natural man worships all these other things instead of the Creator. And so we are sinners. We've fallen short. We don't value the glory of God. We're guilty. So when God passes over these sins, when He passes over our belittling of His glory, it makes it look as if He's not regarding His own honor. It makes God look as if He no longer values His own glory, which has been trampled in the dirt by men. Paul's solution, in one short phrase, by His blood. In verse 25, God put forward His Son, Jesus Christ, as a propitiation by His own blood, by His death. How could God maintain the value of His glory and be righteous and yet justify ungodly people who sin and belittle His glory? How could He do it? The answer, verse 25 and 26, He sent His Son, Jesus, to die as a demonstration of His righteousness. But how did His death How did the death of the Son of God demonstrate God's righteousness? How did it show His faithfulness to His glory? Well, Jesus had a grip on this. Jesus understood that His death was first of all towards His Father. Listen to His words. Look at the screen and listen to His words. John 12, 27-28 Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? No, for this purpose... I have come to this hour. What is the purpose? Father, glorify thy name. He saw his death as bringing glory and honor to God. He saw that humans had devalued the glory of God. They had trampled on God's name and his honor. And God had passed over it being long-suffering and patient for all of those generations. And then what did Jesus say? Now is the day of vindication. Now is when your glory will be raised back up as a banner over the whole world. Now in me, crucify me, Father, so that you might be glorified. Kill me. And at the same time say, I forgive them. That's what Jesus saw His death as. An offering to His own Father. After Judas left the upper room in John 13, 31. Now is the Son of Man glorified and in Him God is glorified. You see, He understood His death as glory. Not as a murder, not as some sacrifice only for the sin of the world. Yes, it was for the sin of the world. We've spent time on that. But he saw his ultimate purpose as glorifying his own Father, as bringing the name of God, valuing the name of God, bringing it as a banner over the earth. When he prayed in John seventeen four, he said, I have glorified you, Father, upon the earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. What we see from the text in Romans 3 is that God's glory has been trampled. God's honor is at stake. His righteousness seems to have fallen away. How can He justify these people who are sinners? Because He put Himself forward in the form of His Son and He died as a covering for those sins and as a grounds of forgiveness of those sins. And the truth is God passes over you We act as if that's an Old Testament thing only. It's not. God is still passing over you in Christ. You need to remember that. I need to remember that. As we come to the communion table, we need to remember we 
are guilty of sin. We have infinitely offended an infinitely holy God and deserve wrath. And God passes over us. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. Because of faith in Him alone. There's no other hope. There's no other rock. There's no other ground to stand on. What we see is Jesus suffered. He suffered for the sake of God's glory. All His pain and shame and humiliation magnified the Father's glory, but it shows how infinitely worthy God is, and it shows the loss that we suffered because of our own sin. When we look at the, re- the death of the perfect, innocent, infinitely worthy Son of God on the cross and hear that He endured it all for the glory of His Father, then we know that God has not denied the value of His own glory. He is, justif- he is just and the justifier of all those who believe in Jesus. And God gave us pictures. I love pictures. In John chapter 1, Jesus came to the riverbank Jordan and John the Baptist was baptizing repentive sinners. In the Old Testament, there was great grounds for this practice. People repented and they came and were symbolically dunked into the water and their sin was washed away. That was what they were painting. And then they were raised to newness of life. In their faith alone in the Messiah that was coming, John the Baptist, the last great prophet of the Old Testament, is baptizing sinners that have repented. And then here comes Jesus to be baptized. You remember? He said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That was the announcement of John the Baptist. Jesus comes to the riverbank, even walks into the water where John is, and John says, I can't baptize you. Basically, is what he says. You don't need it. Why am I going to baptize you? You should baptize me. He understood. Jesus is perfect. This is a symbol of sin washed away. Jesus had no sin. Why is he being baptized? It used to confuse me until I spent a long time studying and it hit me. All of the repentant sinners were dunked to wash away their sin. And the picture of God on that day is my son will walk into your sin and be baptized. Jesus was baptized into sin. Perfect, sinless being, son of God, baptized into sin. My sin, your sin, the sin of those people in the Jordan, the sin of John the Baptist, the one who baptized him. That's what John's saying. Why am I baptizing you? You should baptize me. And Jesus says, no, no, do it. That all things might be fulfilled. What was being fulfilled, Jesus? The picture of the just and the justifier. God is just. He walks into the water. He stands there with John the Baptist. He's dunked into the water of sin of humanity. And he's lifted up. And on the cross, He was dunked in our sin. He was covered in our sin. All of those sins God had passed over and all the sins He's passing over today were dumped onto Jesus. And then He was baptized into death. And then He was raised from the dead. For what? Paul says in Romans 6, Why was He raised from the dead? To the glory of God the Father. That's why He was raised from the dead. Justification is the greatest life-changing doctrine that I've ever come across. Justification by faith alone will change you more than any frivolous sermon you hear on five steps to 
happiness. Why? Because there's no other hope except that you be justified by Christ, by faith alone. So even the wickedness of a man like Charles Roberts can be forgiven if he places his faith in Jesus Christ. God can and does pass over guilt because his guilt has been punished in Christ's death on the cross. And Christ can accept a murderous man as righteous through faith in Christ because Christ's righteousness is transferred to him based on God being both the justifier and the just. This is the great doctrine that we'll continue to look at. It's it's a great doctrine. I want to close by saying this to you. Before you come to the communion table today, we're going to sing a couple songs and then we're going to come to the communion table. I, I want to ask you, I want to plead with you. If you know Christ as your Savior, then you know His forgiveness. If you know His forgiveness, then He calls you to forgive, just as He is forgiven. We're not to be worried about vindication. We're not to be worried about retribution. We're not to be concerned with someone paying for what they owe us. Our concern is to extend the grace of God. And so I'm asking you, please search your heart during the music, during this time, and forgive those whom you hold grudges against. Please don't come to the communion table holding a grudge. Don't come saying, well, they're getting what they deserve. Don't come with a prideful, pharisaical attitude that I got my house in order. All these other sinners need to be forgiven. Come as the publican, beating on your chest and wailing, I'm a sinner. Saved by grace. And I forgive anyone who has done wrong against me. Anyone. And Lord, I don't look to be vindicated in this life. It's not my desire that you punish them. It's not what I want. I want them to be forgiven. I want them to have grace. I'm going to pray for their salvation. I want them to experience this life-giving joy of salvation that only comes through Christ and faith alone. That's what I'm asking you to do before you come to communion. That communion, your communion is held back. It's not free. If you can't come in that state. And we all have that in our heart. So as we sing, I'm going to ask the people to come forward that are going to sing. And as we sing these songs, sing, but repent. Call on Him. If you're not saved, be saved. Trust in Christ alone and be saved. If you are saved, trust in Christ enough to trust Him with whatever wrong has been done. Trust Him with it. Instead of seeking vindication, don't seek vindication. Seek forgiveness. So we're going to sing. You sing with them and then we'll take communion. I ask you all to stand with us, please.